much. Welcome, everybody. Lovely to see you, and welcome from me, too. Particularly if you're new, we love having new people uh, with us and um, trying us out, wondering if, if Trinity is for you. And um, if it is, or you think that it might be, again, just connect with all the things that uh, have been announced. I bring you um, love and greetings from Mike Darbandi, for those who might remember Mike, who was on the team here, and Caroline. Um, who helped to lead part of the Gas Street uh, Mafia up in Birmingham. A bunch of churches up there, and Mike is the location pastor of one of those. And we, we were up there this morning um, where Hills was speaking uh, on the compassion of the Father. And um, I, I feel as if I've got about three or four messages going around in my head. I'll, I promise I'll try and only give one. But uh, I did feel to say this on this Mother's Day, and by the way, Happy Mother's Day too, um, of course, the nature of God encompasses all that is best about things that we'd say are motherly attributes, as Nikki's reminded us, as well as fatherly ones. And there's something about the compassion of God, and even that word carries a lot of emotion. Andrew's just referred to that, and we shouldn't be afraid of that. Compassion in Latin is to suffer with. And it's the first way that God reveals himself in the Bible, in fact. Of all the different characteristics, qualities, attributes of God in the Bible, the first time God says, I am blank, the blank is compassion, says it to, to uh, Moses. That's his self-revelation. And I just say that because I, I firmly believe that in the, in the room tonight, God wants, the Father wants for you to experience his compassion. Um, I mean, all of us generally, but there will be some in particular. And that compassion comes to those who are hurting and in pain and difficulty on account of circumstances and stuff that has happened to you, as well, frankly, as compassion where the hurt and stuff that's happened to you is your own fault. Because he is compassionate, not judgment, not, not, not judging in that way. And there's something about the compassion of God. And I feel that there's, been some, there's something very weighty going on at the moment. Um, I hope we kind of catch a bit of that. We've been using language around that, I suppose, but only to try and reflect this sense that in one sense the world is getting darker and darker and then the light shines bright in the, darkest, in the darkness and there's a kind of focusing happening, a kind of are you sinking or swimming? And uh, I believe that the Father just wants to uh, strengthen us, of course, courageous resistance is, is our overall kind of theme that he's led us to, but we need to uh, embrace the idea that we're loved and known. It starts there. Uh, and that he has compassion for us. And I, and I would love when we come to minister that if you just need to know a greater touch of the compassion of God, that um, you'd come and, and would be able to, to pray into that, pray for that. Felt the Lord say, again, we've, in the past, we've used this language of all in and in terms of are we, to, the, to, the, to what extent are we sinking, swimming or sinking? You know, are we sort of half-hearted, lukewarm? Are we all in for things? I felt God say, don't forget, he's all in for us. Before we're ever all in for him, he is all in for us, always. Doesn't hold back, never held back, sent his only son to die for us. God does not hold back from us. He's all in for us, always. He's declared that, he's shown that. And we've, there's been a weightiness about what we've sung tonight, in my view. Uh, and I thank the band for leading us and hearing the Lord about that. And the things that we've, we've found our lips saying, I don't know if you're like me, go, oh my goodness, that's a huge thing to say and sing. And I sing it with, so the aspiration of it being more and more true about me and the way that I, I see God. Which is kind of tied into tonight, you'll be pleased to know, that's not a sort of separate thing, it is by way of kind of intro to tonight. I was walking down the street this week, um, by the way I hope you had a great race week, whatever that might mean for you, didn't get stuck in too many traffic jams, but I was walking behind a crowd at one point and I heard them, young people, I heard them talking about music and I heard one of them say uh, to the other, what's number one at the moment? And I it would be prepared to admit, this is not my normal terrain, I probably wouldn't normally know the answer to that question, as it happened I knew the answer to that question, are you impressed with me? The number one. Anybody know what the number one is at the moment? Nobody in the room. 
Come on, Tim. <laughs> Miley Cyrus, number one. Uh, currently got the number one single and the number one album out at the moment. Um, and so a little quiz for you along the theme of number ones. Uh, four questions for you. Uh, turn to your neighbour and uh, number one in terms of biggest company in the world. Number one in terms of most followers on Instagram. Number one in terms of wealthiest person in the world, and number one in terms of who's top of the Premier League at the moment. Ooh, did you see how I did that? Right, you've got about five seconds. Turn to your neighbour. Any of those? Number one? Number one company? Number one Instagram? Number one wealthiest person? <clears throat> okay, that's your lot. <clears throat> that's your lot. Uh, answers, please. Instagram? Not Selena Gomez, she's number three. Ronaldo. Yeah, Cristiano Ronaldo. He's pretty much number one on Twitter and everything else as well. Uh, well, the biggest number one company? It's not Amazon. Walmart. Mm. Number one wealthiest person, individual in the world? It's not George Soros. It's not Bezos. It's not Elon Musk. He's number two. It's a French guy, actually. Bernard Arnault. If you know him, yeah, luxury goods brands and, and all of that, Louis Vuitton and all the rest. Completely trivial nonsense. <clears throat> Just a bit, but a bit of a segue into, into what is, prepare for a very big question, uh, because the scripture that I want to try to be faithful to tonight uh, takes us right here in, in a really blunt, kind of obvious kind of a way. And here's the question, who is number one in your life? Who's, who's your number one? Who, who or what is number one in your life? And it, of course, it's too big a question in a way. I get that. But I think that the scripture takes us there, and I, I want to do justice to that. If you've been around a bit, you'll know that this is number four in a series of five talks. We finish next week. Focused all on the same passage of scripture, all on this uh, episode in the life of Jesus where he's, he, he's kind of grown up, he's a young adult. He comes to uh, begin or pr to prepare for his public ministry when he's going to you know, put his head above a parapet, as it were, begin speaking and, and, and public ministry gets baptized. And he's taken by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness where he has this experience for 40 days of um, of testing, major testing. So he's fasting, so he's already weak, and he's vulnerable, probably lonely, probably tired, all those things. And at that moment, he comes face to face. There is this uh, black-white, you know, uh, kingdom clash, cult face to face with the ultimate enemy, the, the devil himself, and faces these challenges, these temptations and tests, uh, where the enemy is essentially trying to, he's on a mission to destroy him ultimately by any means that he can in order to put a stop to the whole cosmic plan of God the Father to send Jesus yeah, to, to rescue humanity, you, you and me. There's this huge kind of showdown. So it is really, really tough. And I'm not going to repeat everything that's been said over the last two or three weeks. And please, if, you, if you're catching up, it's great to have a kind of sense of continuity. But let's, again, just register the reason why we're calling this positive testing, that for everything that in the enemy's hands he hopes will lead to destruction and, and death and robbery and failure, the very same thing in God's hands has the potential to turn out really well. There is this conundrum. And we see it again and again and again, all through Scripture, in Joseph's life. The thing that the enemy intended for evil, God used for good. 
Romans 8, 28, all things work together for the good of those who love God. Even bad things can work together for good. Let's remind ourselves, only the tempter tempts. God never tempts anybody to sin. So the tempter, the devil, is the one who does that, hoping that we fall for it, hoping that Jesus would fall for it and make a mess and, and kind of fall flat on his face right at the beginning so his whole kind of mission would be undermined and, and uh, wouldn't get off the starting blocks. But in the hands of God, it turns out that testing, God is the specialist of bringing good stuff out of difficult stuff if we let him and uses it to, to, to grow. So we, you know, plot spoiler, we come to next week and he emerges out of the wilderness even stronger than he went in. The Bible says full of the power of the Holy Spirit. We'll look at something about that next week in terms of what he goes on to do. And that really matters because um, we face tests, we face trials, we face... Jesus, there's nothing that we face that Jesus kind of hasn't faced. In Hebrews, we're reminded that part of the reason that that we don't need to see Jesus as this otherly figure, oh, he's kind of Superman in human skin, is that, no, he, he shed all his divine advantages, lived with the advantages that we have, and overcame. That's really, really good news for us. So sure, we fail and we mess up and we fall flat on our face, but we take great comfort from the fact that he faced the same kind of stuff that we did, yet without sin. So positive testing, we can be positive about that. The larger story here in, in, the, in this, uh, yeah, thanks, Joe. There's a few verses and things uh, that will pop up. Um, the larger story here is this is not really uh, a series of stories about how to avoid the enemy's traps. It is that. It is about how not to sin, how to avoid temptation. We said that a few weeks ago. Of course it is, and that's really, really important. But it's much more than that. This is much a much part of a much bigger picture about how is heaven's rule, the kingdom of God, the kingly rule of God the Father, how is it going to be established on earth? And the plan, of course, is that it comes in the form of Jesus, which is why the devil wants to kind of destroy him before he gets going. And so Jesus is not just fighting against stuff, he's fighting for the bigger picture, for faithfulness to who he is, the Son of God, for his mission to bring and embody the kingdom on earth. And of course, he goes on to do that, to demonstrate and to proclaim with his words and in his works the kingdom rule of God. He, he restores bodies that are sick. He heals people who are suffering. He casts out demons from people who are oppressed. He sets things right. He, he speaks truth into areas of deception. He even raises the dead and on and on and on. He, he embodies all of that. And then, of course, gives us the, the same commission, sends his Holy Spirit. You know, he, uh, uh, by the way, three-year journey, obviously, to the cross, uh, where the, the ultimate victory is won over the devil, over death. He's raised to new life. He ascends to heaven, sends the Holy Spirit and says, right, your turn, church, Trinity, 2023. Here's the mission. Same mission. And by the way, same weaponry. Holy Spirit, Holy Scripture. That's what he had in the wilderness. That's what he gives to us. The Holy Spirit poured out at Pentecost. We receive and rejoice when we come to faith. The Holy Spirit takes up residence within us in a way that is still mind-blowing and beyond our imagination. But the Bible's clear about that. And Holy Scripture, again, Jesus was faithful. How did he overcome all of these temptations? He had the Word of God within him and with the Spirit of God and was able to stand firm, to courageously resist. So your turn. Word and Spirit, same twin tracks that the church is, is to run on. And what is then the first call on the church? 
on the people of God, on each and every one of us who would claim to be Christians, that means little Christ, people who follow Christ, the followers of the rabbi Jesus, what has first place? Who is number one, if you like, back to my question, in life? Well, we need to turn to Luke 4. Find Luke 4, if you would. I think I might have the verse on the, on the, the screen, but it's good to open Bibles too, devices, whatever. And we're just going to read this third and final test. There are three. We've done the last two in the last two weeks. I'm just going to read verses five to eight. We go straight to the heart of things. That was by way of recap. Jesus fighting against stuff, but for stuff, and says, same for you. Yes, fight against things, but you fight too for the kingdom of God to be established through you, the church. There isn't an alternative plan, friends. The rule of God does not get established in Cheltenham outside of the activity of his people. That's you and me, if you call yourself a follower. But what is, where does it begin? What is number one then? What's the top priority? And if you, you, you can't have lots of priorities, can you? If you've got lots of priorities in life, you've got none. We do get that, don't we? can't have 57 priorities. It's not Heinz varieties. There's a top priority. Anyway, here we go. Luke 4. The devil leads him up to a high place showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world and said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It's been given to me. And I can give it to anyone that I want to. If you worship me, it'll be all yours. Lots of eyes in there, aren't there? I, 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 me, 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 me. Jesus answered, it's written. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Told you it's quite big and blunt. Who's number one in your life? Feels like the devil's kind of given up on the subtle approach, uh, which hasn't really worked too well for him so far, uh, with this one. Uh, and kind of goes for it head on. Jesus, I know your mission is to get back all of these kingdoms and nations of the world that we can see from this high place and bring them under heaven's rule. But they're in my hands right now. Essentially, is what the enemy is saying. They're under my rule right now, and I can give them to you. He's overstating the case to some extent, but not by much. And we don't have time to go down that rabbit warren too much. But the devil is described in the New Testament as being the God of this age, the ruler of this world, the prince of the powers of the air. In the first garden, remember going back to the, back to the beginnings, however we exactly interpret it. The first Adam is given authority by God. We're given authority by God to rule over the world. Adam chooses the snake's voice and in, and in rebelling against God's commands, essentially gives that authority into the hands of the snake. So to a large extent, that is exactly what's happened and we live in the legacy of it. That we've given away the authority that God had given to us, the power he'd given to us to steward under his authority the, the, rule, the world well and put it in the hands of the enemy. And we see the legacy all around. Every, every single human system, person, culture is broken, fractured because of that. Devil doesn't have a kingdom, by the way. There's only one king, but he, so he's never referred to as a king, referred to as a prince. And he's a, def, but he's, and he's, he's, sure, he's a defeated enemy. We, we get that. That's what Easter's all about, that we're about to celebrate. But for now, whilst the war has been won there, the battle still rage, and he has immense power. And therefore, to some extent, it is right for him to say, these are under my rule, and I can give them to you. And that's what he says. The offer here, then, is, Jesus, you can have what you want, and you don't need to go through all of that suffering. 
You don't need to do all of that stuff that's going to be so painful and difficult as people reject you and ultimately kill you. There is another route to fulfillment and happiness to get what you want. And it's much easier and simpler. And all you need to do is make me number one. Make me number one. Verse 7. If you worship me, it will be all yours. All right, let me, let me translate that then into our terms. Something like this. We all want a good life. Again, from our origins, from the beginnings, the book of beginnings, we are created with deep God-given needs to be known, to be loved as we are, to be accepted, to, to know that our life counts for something, to feel secure, to have uh, some kind of fulfillment and sense of, of purpose while we're on planet Earth, right? All of those kinds of things and a bunch more, to be a reason to be alive, that our life kind of counts for something and that there are witnesses to it. We're after fulfillment, even happiness, if you like. And the devil is constantly coming over and whispering or even shouting sometimes, well, if you make this thing number one in your life, if you make this thing number one in your life, then it will be all yours. That's the equivalent of verse 7, right? He's not dumb enough to say, if you worship me. Not many people fall for the idea of devil worship, and one or two, but not really. But he's behind the subtle whisper that goes, if you make this thing, whatever this thing is, number one in your life, then that's your roots to those things that you're after all the time. The security and the, you know, the, the, the identity, the sense of fulfillment, being loved, known, accepted, all of that stuff, what we might call success or happiness, put your own language around it. But every human being has that. Cheltenham Racecourse this week has been a place of worship for many visiting our town, hasn't it? Let's be, let's be really honest. Football stadiums, concert venues, gyms, shopping centres, screens, all places where many will as it were, bow down at the altar of uh, celebrity or consumerism or body image or pleasure-seeking or getting more stuff or whatever, whatever, whatever. If you just try this, if you worship me, if you just worship this, if you just make this the number one, then it'll be the thing that succeeds where other things haven't quite succeeded and given you what you, what you were after, what you wanted. And the gods of the age, they keep subtly shifting, don't they? There's all kinds of... thinking, when I was growing up, I'm not sure food was ever such an idol. Certainly not in this country. We had a terrible reputation for food. I notice food. Just see, I have to, I have to watch, you know, watch it myself. I don't mean overeat it. I just mean food just has become this massive potential kind of object of, of worship. And we all have our, our, our ver versions of it. Almost anything, by the way, can become an idol in that language. An object of... Worship in the sense of an object of worship. It grabs my, my attention and my allegiance. I want more of it, and I haven't quite, it, it, it demands a bit more, so I give it a bit more. It still hasn't quite succeeded in making me what I want to be, but I'll, I'll keep going, that kind of thing. Almost anything's got the capacity that main, most of them good things. They just get distorted when we put them in the number one place rather than where they should be. Seek first what? Seek first the king and his kingdom, and then other things take their place. Food's brilliant, it's not an object of worship. 
I guess most of us, as we look at our own lives, can begin to imagine what is competing for the number one place. I suppose in big terms, worship, really setting your heart on something and really going after this because this is the thing that's going to make my life work and succeed. Uh, in, the rec- in kind of recent years, I can certainly think of friends for whom that has been marriage or the idea of marriage maybe. If, I, if only I could get married. That will be the thing. That's what my whole kind of energy is really pointing. That's the number one thing. That's how I want my life to succeed. And please, please, please hear me. These are, remember, these are good things. Marriage, God-given, beautiful thing. But when we put marriage as the number one thing, the thing that we're seeking because we think it's the thing that is going to release everything else to us, what are we doing? We're worshipping it. And the devil encourages that. If you worship this, then everything else will be yours. Or children, actually. Um, or the, the idea of having children, or even, or, or want, perhaps once children are born, the children themselves, and they become the thing around which everything revolves. To the extent it's like worship, actually. Or uh, jobs, or career, or success, or reputation, or having a fancy home, or a slightly more fancy home, or whatever, you know. You get the idea. If you worship dot, 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 it will all be yours. Number one, Jesus answered, there's only one number one. That's what he's saying in verse eight, isn't it? There's only one number one. There only ever has been one number one, and there only ever will be, and he's the Lord. Worship the Lord your God. Serve him only. Every other pretender to that throne is an imposter, and they all come and go, by the way. Miley Cyrus, bless her. She'll be gone next week. <laughs> Arsenal, about three months. <laughs> Health, big god of our age, comes and goes. Reputation, success, jobs, even marriages, kids, in the end. There's only one real number one. Forget the top 40. How about the top 10? It's number one in that list of 10. God gave some instructions, remember them, to Moses, to help the people. Here's how you live right. Here's 10 things that are quite important uh, about living right according to the maker's design. What's number one? Anybody remember it? Have no other gods before me. No No number ones. There's only one number one. Joshua, um, great, it wasn't Joshua a great story, but you know, Andrew said, who would you like to have, a, have around your, your dinner table? There's quite a few Bible characters I would not want to have around my dinner table, I can tell you. I think Paul would scare the pants off me, but I quite like the idea of Joshua. I could be wrong. Timothy, my namesake, I'm getting distracted. Joshua, uh, there's this brilliant moment in Joshua, towards the end of the book of Joshua 24, and uh, God's kind of reminding the people through Joshua of everything that he's done, this incredible story and summary version of the, of the people of God. I picked, you know, it started with Abraham and, you know, I looked after you, and yes, you ended up in Egypt, but that was just so that you could, uh, you know, get fed and not starve, and then I brought you back through the Red Sea, and you wandered around the wilderness for a bit because you messed up, and, but eventually we got you into the promised land, and then in the promised land, which is was the destination. We fought some battles and we, you know, helped you to beat various opponents. And this is this is this was your destination to to be a kind of pattern of forebear for the people of God. And then it, we arrive at this point, and Joshua says, "Now fear the Lord." Having done all of that, fear the Lord. 
There's that phrase again. We need to keep noting that because I think it's, you know, God's really putting it on us. And serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods that your ancestors worshipped beyond the uh, Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. If serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, well then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether it's them, those gods, those other things that the ancestors worshipped in whose land you're living. But as for me and my household, don't you love this bit? As for me and my household, we know what we're choosing. We know who's number one. We're choosing the, the only number one. We're choosing the Lord. You've got a choice because God doesn't force anybody. You've got a choice, but it's there. It's black and white, isn't it? It's pretty blunt. Make no apology for that tonight. There's this bunch of other gods, all of that stuff we've mentioned and the things that are going through your head. Oh, yeah, I'll put that. Or there's the Lord to give your highest devotion to, your highest attention, your highest loyalty, your highest honor, your highest reverence, your highest adoration. That is to worship, basically. Not just in songs, but in the outworking of, of life. And it will always be opposed. Here it is. Here's Jesus in the wilderness. It's always, always, always contested. This is, this is battleground right here. Of course it is, because it's kind of number one. It's the main thing. Jesus then, Joshua, you and me, every day in different kinds of ways. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago I was here telling you that the devil, that word, comes from diabolos in, in Greek, and it means to, to split because he's always trying to separate one of the things that he's always trying to split us away from our sense of who we are, our sense of being loved by God, our sense of what God's called us to, to separate, to distract us, literally to distract. I was looking up that word as well. That's, that comes from the Latin. Dis means away. Tractor is the drag bit. So distract to drag away. Anybody else find that distraction is one of the things that the enemy uses to drag us away, to split us away from him being number one each and every day of our, of, of our lives and, and in our hearts and on the throne of our lives? I can see some heads nodding and the rest of you are being dishonest. <laughs> Massive. Well, distraction, again, I'm not going to ride that, that horse right now, but oh my goodness. For me, I think I've confessed this kind of thing before. I, I, I love current affairs. I love politics. I love keeping up to date with stuff. Therefore, the apps which tell me about what's going on in the world, do I really need to read you know, what's happened in Ukraine for the 15th time today or you know, to Gary Lineker or you know, that stuff or, or, or BBC Sport, love my sport, love keeping up to date with all the results. The distraction is there. And it's a little escape route, isn't it? This thing is a bit tricky. So I think I'll turn to that thing there. Not that they're wrong, but just the place that they have. What's number one? What's number one? What's number one? Who's number one? How's that working out? And what's the place then of the other things? All the swiping and scrolling and clicking and surfing and, and, and all of that. Choose for yourselves, says Joshua, whom you will serve. Choose this day. And for this day, frankly, every day. It's not a one-time decision, is it? It starts with a one-time decision. It goes on with a million little decisions every day that God is my number one. Worship and serve him only. As for me and my household, we'll worship the Lord. Opposition always from the world, from the flesh, from the devil. The world says, you weirdos, what are you doing in a cold building on a Sunday night? Doing your irrelevant little fairy tales. Opposition. You might want to register that. 
My flesh will say, why bother? I'm tired, I'm hungry, I'm lonely, I'm under pressure, I'm in pain, I'm feeling low. So my feelings go this way and I want to get distracted that way. And I'm really happy to be distracted that way. God, the number one can wait for another day. Why worship Jesus? I'll allow myself to be distracted. And yet the devil's behind all of it, whether he's whispering those things or, or shouting them. Take it easy. This God of yours, he's really demanding, isn't he? All that Bible stuff and all that prayer and all those meetings and... Money, are you sure? Giving money away, why would you do that? Having to mind your language, your behavior, it's all a bit over the top. I'm not going to say much more, but uh, there's that woman. Think about worship that's over the top. Do you remember the story of the woman who finds herself, and she's had a pretty broken life, but she finds herself at the feet of Jesus in a rather public, potentially awkward way in the middle of a dinner party, and she's got some very expensive perfume which is worth probably a year's wages and she breaks it and she pours it over his feet in this incredible act of devotion. And everybody said, there's some opposition by the way, and, and everybody said, what a waste, what an absolute waste. You know, the opposition to her, her beautiful act of devotion which Jesus says, people are going to be talking about this forever. I love that it's in the Bible and he was right. It's funny how Jesus is right about this stuff. Here we are all these years later telling that story because what she did was beautiful, he says. It's not a waste at all. A waste implies that I'm not getting back something for what I've given. And that's how the religious mindset will always see it. Well, I, I, I'm doing church, I'm doing Bible, I'm giving money, so what do I get? Worship doesn't seek to get anything. She wasn't after anything. Worship was a response. It's not a transaction. I mean, sure, we actually benefit because God is kind and we get blessed as we worship, but we, it's not a, I do this so that I get that. It's costly. That woman you know, in that story paid everything. We know that worship can be costly. Worship on a day when, 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 when the sun is out and, and all is well in our world, sure, that might be um, a, a delight and, and it may not feel difficult for God to be number one in those circumstances but most of the time life is painful most of the time we spend in the valley not the mountaintop here's Jesus in the wilderness modeling costly worship frankly costly costly worship the kind of worship that pleases the heart of the father that comes from a place of pain and difficulty but brings it all to God and says, I'm going to worship you anyway the kind of psalms frankly about 149 out of 150 are like that life is tough but God I'm going to carry on worshiping anyway because I want to keep my heart pure and, and located on, on the idea that, God, you're number one and there isn't an alternative. Where else would I go? It's a choice. And it's not about ultimately the song or the perfume or the money or how I feel. It's about choosing the number one again and again and again. Final thing, though, to remember, as with the woman in the story, the, the really beautiful thing is that you and I are God's number one. That's where it starts. Worship is only ever a response, isn't it? To, to, to say that, God, you're my number one, if you're going to answer my question, well, actually not my question, the devil's question to some extent in this passage. Worship me and everything will be yours. Jesus says, no, worship God, serve him only. But it starts with the reality that we're the number one for God. Day after day after day, whether you mess up, or don't, whether you're far from him or not, whether you're young or old, whether you've been walking with him for years or whether you haven't, he doesn't change his mind. His nature hasn't changed. His faithfulness is just extraordinary. You are the Lord's number one. You are the top of his priority list. It's not extraordinary. 
the Father's compassion. Not just on good days, but every day. And so the Bible says we, we only love, we, we only worship, we only uh, live out the reality and aspire to of him being number one because he first loved us. We follow because he called us. We have life because he saved us and, and forgave us and put his breath within us, the breath of his spirit. We worship because he's revealed who he is to us. And we're not worshipping an idea, we're not worshipping a philosophy, we're not worshipping a kind of routine or a tradition established by people over a couple of thousand years. In the passage, worship the Lord who? Your God. Worship the Lord, your God. Personal, relational, knowable. There's nothing about you that he doesn't know. Nothing about me that he doesn't know. He's not waiting for me to smarten up my act before he blesses me or, or helps me. Now come as you are. So we worship. We make him number one in our lives because he's worth it, so worthy of it. To live any other way is to miss out. To live any other way is to miss out. So again I say, as the Lord indicates to us who is your number one?